Hey everyone, this is Greg Schuster, Ready for the Draft.com. This is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 26. We're less than two weeks away from the NFL draft, which is set to begin Thursday, April 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. And this marks the start of the Rapid Fire podcast. My goal is to bring a podcast to you every couple of days leading up to the draft. Positional rankings, breaking down each and every position, taking a look at my top 10 by position. We'll take a look at who might be flying under the radar, guys to keep an eye on, who might be a little overrated, who are my favorite players, and then also take a look at where the players might fall in each and every round. My goal is at the end of that to hopefully have you prepared and ready for the draft We'll throw in one final podcast, kind of break down my final mock draft and really what I'm anticipating happening there on April 25th. So a lot to cover over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to go ahead and jump into things right away with the quarterback position. Now, when you're talking about the quarterback position, you kind of have to look at some of the numbers. And uh, there have been 25 quarterbacks drafted in the first round since 2011, 14 in the top 10. Now, really what I want to focus on more more so is the last five years. Since 2014, um, you know, taking a look at, at each what each of those drafts look like. So in, in 2014, you had 14 quarterbacks taken. Okay. Three in the first round, and then two in the second round. So only only five taken in the first two days. Uh, and then obviously beyond that. Uh, you, you had another nine quarterbacks that were taken, um, but that was a draft that saw Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, um, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, you know, were were a few that that were in that draft. AJ McCarron was another one. Uh, so, 2014, you look at that draft. You know, three in the first round, two in the second. Uh, you know, 2015, uh, only seven quarterbacks taken. You know, that was the year Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota went 1-2. No quarterbacks taken in round number two. And then you had, uh, you know, Garrett Grayson and and Sean Mannion uh, taken in round number three. Uh, Bryce Petty, Brett Hundley, Trevor Simeon in that draft. Really a, a down year in terms of quarterbacks outside of the top two. Then you look at 2016. 15 quarterbacks. So you almost see kind of a pattern, you know, that, that, you know, 14 taken the year before or, you know, two years before and now 15. And and that's the year with, with obviously Jared Goff going number one overall. And then Carson Wentz going number two, Paxton Lynch. I know John Elway, you know, uh, missed there with, with Paxton Lynch at the end of round number one. Uh, Christian Hackenberg was in that draft. But, you know, some other guys that are still in the league with, with Jacoby Brissett, Cody Kessler, uh, you know, taken there on day two. Dak Prescott taken in round number four. Um, you know, so when, when you already you see a theme here that you don't have to necessarily take a quarterback in round number one to, to have a guy that might be able to make an impact. So, you know, I, I think, you know, when you talk about that quarterback position, um, you know, when we look at this draft, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of break things down a little bit in terms of, you know, the teams that have to take a quarterback in round number one and who can kind of wait until day two or even potentially day three and who's going to be there for those teams. 2017, 10 quarterbacks taken. 
And that was the year of, of Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky and, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, Deshaun Watson, teams trading up to get their quarterbacks, get their guy. So far, you know, all three of those quarterbacks have shown the ability to to really last and, and you know, the staying power. You know, I think Mitchell Trubisky has really shown that he can be, um, you know, a franchise quarterback. And really, he was the one that people were, were doubting the most, um, you know, because... Patrick Mahomes had such physical ability and the physical gifts and, and Deshaun Watson with what he, he was able to do, but look, Mitchell Trubisky in, in his one year there as the starter uh, at UNC, we're going to be talking about this quite a bit when we get to uh, Dwayne Haskins and what Dwayne Haskins was able to bring to the table uh, for Ohio state in his one year. But Mitchell Trubisky, look, uh, you know, at UNC, and I'm trying to pull up the college stats now, um, really to take a look at, at what he did. Um, this was something that we, we talked about or you know that I wrote about in, in my 2017 or 2018 mock draft. Um, you know, but you look at it and 68% completion percentage, over 3,700 3, yards, 30 touchdowns, just six interceptions. Yes, you know, he only had the 13 games of starting experience, but you saw that that he was a different player from a guy like like Achilles Smith. You know, now Achilles Smith on the other hand, you know, in his one year of starting experience there for the Ducks, um, you know, 50 58% completion percentage. Uh, you know, so that in and of itself was was kind of the the eye-popping number. Everything else, you know, was virtually identical. 37 over 3700 passing yards, 32 touchdowns and 8 interceptions. So you, you look at that and uh, you know, you really couldn't break things down, you know, and really compare the two um, very much, but I think that completion percentage says a lot. If you can't complete 60% of your passes, in college, what makes you think that you're going to be able to complete 60% of your passes at the next level? Obviously, um, you know, Achilles Smith, um, you know, when he was selected, um, you know, with the, uh, what was it? It was the, um, gosh, the third overall pick of the Bengals in 1999. Um, you know, when he moved on to the Bengals, you know, he played in just, you know, 22 games. Uh, a completion percentage of just 46.6%, um, five touchdowns, 13 interceptions on the year. Now, Mitchell Trubisky, on the other hand, you know, and, and you know, in 2018, four, in 14 games, uh, completed over 66% of his passes, over 3,200 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. 12 interceptions, a little on the higher side um, than what you'd like to see out of your starting quarterback. But honestly, you know, this is a guy who I, I think has continued to develop and grow um, as a quarterback and, and somebody who I think, if, if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm looking at him as a guy who, you know what, you know, we can – you know, obviously they have one of the top defenses, but this is a guy who has proven that he can hold his own uh, at, at the next level. Um, in terms of the, the passing yards, you know, Trubisky sitting there at number 20 overall. Um, so not the, you know, not, not, not the most eye-popping numbers, you know, and, and I will admit that. Um, not the most eye-popping numbers at all, um, but... When you look at some of the games that he had, you know, against Tampa in a 48 to 10 game, um, 19 to 26, that's 73% completion percentage, uh, 354 yards, six touchdowns, 
no interceptions. You know, uh, and then you take a game like uh, like he had against Detroit, thirty-four twenty-two win, twenty-three of thirty, which is seventy-six point seven percent, three hundred fifty-five yards and three touchdowns with zero interceptions. So I'm making a point. You know, obviously there's you know there's still some learning uh, to do there and that learning curve. But Mitchell Trubisky has established himself as a guy who, you know, to me. You know, Bears traded up. They took him number two overall. When we talk about Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, I think that's going to be relevant, especially when we're taking a look at the numbers. So getting back to uh, these numbers here, and and, uh, in 2017, we talked about 10 quarterbacks taken overall, and uh, over half of those quarterbacks were actually taken in the first two days. Uh, You know, there were six of them in, in all, and then you saw one quarterback taken in each of the final four rounds. Now, 2018... 13 quarterbacks taken. Of course, you know, we had four in the top 10 and five total in the first round. Uh, first time that we've ever seen that happen. Um, no quarterbacks at all taken in, in the second round. Um, and then finally there was one there in the, in the third round. Um, so when you look at the, at this draft class, you know, obviously, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson taken in the first round. And, uh, you know, really the when you look at that group, Baker Mayfield obviously jumps out as the star. And, you know, I've told everybody, you know, from from day one, if you've listened to my podcast, I said, John Dorsey, if you want to change the losing culture in Cleveland, you take Baker Mayfield. I didn't think he was going to actually do it. So when you look at my mock draft, I took Sam, I had him taking Sam Darnold. But Baker Mayfield has proven me right. You know, you look at that that culture there in Cleveland. There's no longer a losing culture. Now, granted, John Dorsey's done a great job turning that def- that, that team around. Um, you know, in one year, the winning attitude, but then also, you know, with some of the uh, acquisitions that he's had this year, Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know, among among others. Um, you know, so I, I think he's doing a great work there, but a lot of these quarterbacks still, you know, a work in progress. Um, you know, Mason Rudolph taken in, in round number three, and then you had, uh, you know, a bevy of quarterbacks taken there, um, you know, at the, in the last, last, uh, four rounds there. Now, when you look at it, you know, you study some of these quarterbacks and you're trying to figure out who might, might be taken, uh, towards the end of, of this year's draft, um, you know, when you talk about some of these names, Mike White out of Western Kentucky, taken in round number four, Luke Falk out of Washington State. Important to, to really remember that because Luke Falk, I, I think, might be a better pro prospect than, than uh, Gardner Minshew. And Luke Falk taken in round number five, um, as was Tanner Lee out of, uh, out of Nebraska. I think that was really a surprise for a lot of people that Tanner Lee would be coming off the board. Um, you know, and, and I think that was really a, a name that people weren't really expecting. You know, Kyle Laletta taken in round number four. He's gotten himself in trouble with the law um, a, a little bit. So, you know, I think the excitement around him, you know, especially coming out of Richmond, I think things have kind of tempered there just a little bit. Um, you know, and then the, the, the trio taken in round number seven, um, you know, Logan Woodside getting some action in the AAF, the now defunct AAF. Um, I guess it's on on hold right now. Um, you know, Alex Magoo taken out of Florida International with the Seahawks, Danny Etling with the Patriots, you know, 
who's going to be that quarterback that's going to be taken in round number seven. We're going to take a look at that and see who might be quarterbacks that are going to be on the board um, you know, late, late in the in the game where teams might be looking for a, a, a third-string quarterback, a guy that they can bring in as a developmental prospect. We'll take a look at a few names there. So when you look at the quarterback position, you're talking about – you know, and what's crazy is we talked about all these quarterbacks and uh, let's see, in, in the last five years alone, um, you know, let's see, you know, there were 23 in the last two years, um, you know, 38 if you go back to the three, then there's 45. So 59 quarterbacks taken just in the last five years alone. And yet we still have teams that are looking for starting quarterback help. So th- th- I think that's that's definitely troubling, you know, especially when you're talking about uh, you, you look at first-round quarterbacks uh, during that time span, 8, uh, 11, 13, 16 quarterbacks taken in round number one in the last five years. Staggering stuff, right? And it's one of those things too. When we talked about, you know, we look at the draft, we talk about narratives. What are the narratives going to be? Obviously, the narrative of 2018 was the quarterback position because you had all those quarterbacks taken in, in the top 10 and then Lamar Jackson sneaking in at the end of round number one. Who would have thought the quarterback position would be the narrative for this year's draft? Especially considering it was supposed to be all about defense. This is a boring draft. It, it, everything's defense, defense, defense. Everyone's talking about Nick Bosa. Everyone's talking about Ed Oliver and, and Quinnen Williams and Josh Allen. The narrative still ends up coming back to the quarterback position. Why? Well, you know, you've got a guy by the name of Kyler Murray, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner out of Oklahoma. You've got a guy like like Dwayne Haskins, really took the the world by storm there in the Big Ten. Um, at Ohio State, you know, and, and Drew Locke, the 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 savvy veteran, uh, senior quarterback uh, there from Missouri, you know, a guy who led the SEC in yards and touchdowns as a junior. So you have those three quarterbacks at the top, and really the the biggest question is is it, you know when you're looking at Kyler Murray, where is he going to go in the draft? You know, obviously. Everyone, including myself, are looking at uh, the Cardinals saying, you know what, the Cardinals, the best fit for a Cliff Kingsbury offense is going to be Kyler Murray. Why? Well, Kyler Murray played for Lincoln Riley at OU. Lincoln Riley is a disciple of Mike Leach, who also happened to coach and mentor Cliff Kingsbury, who is now... The head coach at at at, uh, at Arizona. So to me, when you look at it, it just you know he will be a natural fit. Would Josh Josh Rosen be able to run the offense? I think he would. I just think Kyler Murray would be the better fit. So when you're looking at that, where does Josh Rosen go if they you know they may even decide to hold on to Josh Rosen? I mean you know when you think about it, they could make a trade and try to either get some additional picks. I mean, yes, they were they were 3 and 13 a year ago, so they're going to need to to fill that roster out, uh especially, you know, when they're they're converting the uh the defense, they're going to have to change schemes, so personnel on the defensive side is something that they're going to have to really focus on. Um but, you know, with with Arizona, you know, if they do trade Josh Rosen, you know, putting their eggs in one basket, you know, maybe they keep him, but 
if they do trade him, where does he go? You know, I I think the Giants are looking for their um, replacement for Eli Manning, and you know that could potentially be uh, you know be a spot for him. But I think if that's going to happen, then you know Dave Gettleman is going to be looking at um, you know probably you know would, would would he be willing to trade that number seventeen overall pick? Um, for Josh Rosen, is that even worth it at that point? Um, you know, a year removed from being the uh, the number ten overall pick um, in the twenty eighteen draft. You know, I think that'd be interesting. Um, I, I think Denver could potentially um, because they're looking at you know they do have Joe Flacco. Really, at the end of the day, you have Joe Flacco and you have. Um, Eli there on the roster, but they're only going to be around for another year. Josh Rosen wants to go somewhere where he can compete for a starting job right away. I'm looking at Miami. Um, you know, as long as Miami, you know, I, I don't think Miami's going to want to part with a 13th overall pick. Um, you know, I just don't see that happening um, unless you know maybe you know with with, with that Josh Rosen, um, you know, that might be enough um, to to sweeten the pot because I don't think they go quarterback at number 13, especially if the, the top three quarterbacks are off the board. The Redskins, would they possibly go for Josh Rosen? I don't think that 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 would be the move. They've already traded for Case Keenum. They do have Alex Smith on the roster. Yes, he's recovering from the uh, gruesome compound fracture, had uh, you know an infection that he was dealing with following the surgery. Um, so his career is in doubt, but he's still on the roster. And you have Colt McCoy, who is a capable backup. So that doesn't make any sense. Does Josh Rosen potentially become the Tom Brady backup? You know, and really, if that's the case, Tom Brady is going to play for another three years. Is Josh Rosen really going to be that guy? Or, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't want to have a repeat of, of Jimmy Garoppolo. Philip Rivers, New Orleans, and, and Drew Brees... You know, I, maybe maybe they're Cincinnati. Maybe Cincinnati wants to uh, make a deal for, for Josh Rosen. You know, Zach Taylor needs his quarterback. He got a good look at Josh Rosen, you know, with the Rams having played, um, you know, the, the Cardinals twice, you know, as, as division rivals. And, and Zach Taylor was the quarterback coach there in, in L.A. So maybe that's where he ends up. You know, I, I don't think that there are a lot of teams – that uh, will be on the market for Rosen um, just because, you know, I, I think, you know, they, just looking at it from an economic standpoint, do they want to go after after Rosen um, or do they end up wanting to draft their own guy? Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there with, with Rosen. But uh, Kyler Murray, if he doesn't go number one overall, um, you know, I think it'd be a huge shock. Would the Raiders trade picks trade their assets um you know john uh, john gruden you know mike mayock's already come on and uh you know up to the media and said that john gruden's advice to him was essentially don't screw this up you know he's got three first round picks would you really package picks together to trade up to get kyler murray um you know i, I don't think this is the year that you make the splash for a quarterback you still need to address a lot of needs you know, you, you do need to address a pass rush that was so anemic. I mean, you couldn't even average a sack a game. 13 sacks. That's just not cutting it. 
you need a running game, especially if Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin aren't coming back. You don't have a, a, a feature running back in that backfield. You're going to need a corner uh, to play opposite Gary on Conley. Tight end position, man, that's lacking as well. Uh, Jared Cook is gone. You know He's in, in New Orleans now. You're going to need a, a tight end. You're going to need another receiver as well. I know that they got in, uh, Antonio Bryant. I'm sorry, Antonio Brown, and uh, they've got Tyrell Williams, but I think they're going to need another receiver to round out that receiving core. You know, and so there are there are a lot of holes. We can keep going, um, you know, with the Raiders. I think you know they could they could use another linebacker. You know, there's help along. You know, I think another pass rusher. Um, so Mike Mayock, you know, yes, the pressure is on to get everything right, but I I think you can pass on the quarterback this year. And if you really want to make a splash, do it in 2020 when you're going into Vegas. You know, you want to pull, bring people in and and the tickets in, get a hot quarterback, get that guy in the draft, trade up. And that's when you make the move. You, know, you look at what Cleveland, again, Baker Mayfield. What did Baker Mayfield do for uh, for Cleveland and the Cleveland ticket sales? Everybody wanted to come out and watch Baker Mayfield play. You know, so I, I think when you look at, at, at Oakland, when the Raiders actually transition to Las Vegas, that's when I think they ultimately make the move. Um, so I don't see them really going after Kyler Murray. I think Kyler really the the, Ra- the 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 Cardinals make the most sense for him. You know, but again, you know, quarterback with the narrative. You know, Dwayne Haskins, where's he going to go? You know, there's there's this narrative about Dwayne Haskins falling in the draft. You know, is that something that's being put out by by the Bengals and these other teams that are outside of the top ten? You know, is Miami or Washington are, are they kind of drumming some of this stuff up, hoping that he falls? You know, are the Giants trying to work out a way to where they can pick him up with the seventeenth overall pick? I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand where people are getting you know where they're they're going with he's a he's a second round pick. Oh, he's only started one year. Remember what I just talked about with Mitchell Trubisky and, and Achilles Smith? Dwayne Haskins is much more Mitchell Trubisky and much less Achilles Smith. And and I think it's frustrating to me. You know, I look at, at, at Dwayne Haskins, and I was the first person, I will admit, that early on in the season, I wanted everyone to pump the brakes on the Dwayne Haskins hype. I was not getting on that train because I couldn't even see if, if he would throw the ball down the field because all that passing game was a short to intermediate. And a lot of it was just crossing routes, crossing route to Paris Campbell, crossing route to, to KJ Hill, crossing route to uh, Terry McLaurin, crossing route to Johnny Dixon. I got sick of seeing all of that. And I said, look, I don't even know if this guy can, can th- make all the throws in the route tree. I really don't know. But then everything changed mid season. Dwayne Haskins puts this team on his back and essentially willed his way to, to take uh, Ohio State uh, to the Big Ten title game. You know, I, it, it's amazing what, what Dwayne Haskins was able to do. Um, you know, let's see. During, during the, the, the point in the, in the season, and I'm looking for the exact numbers here. I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. Um, well, you know, while while I'm looking for that, you know, he was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year for forty through forty eight hundred yards, forty eight thirty one to be exact, fifty touchdowns, and, and completed seventy percent of his passes. 
oh, it doesn't really sound like a, a guy who's worthy of a first-round pick. No, not at all. So here was the deal. You know, Haskins, you know, at, at one point, you know, he, he was completing 62% of his passes in the red zone with a 13 touchdown and just one interception ratio. You know, one, and then really, you know, what happened, I think everything started in the Penn State game. They're down 26-14 to, to Penn State. Haskins throws two touchdowns in the final uh, seven minutes to lead the Buckeyes to a 27-16 victory. You know, never mind the fact that 133 of the 20, 270 yards that he threw on that day were during those final two drives. Uh, you know, the running game managed just 119 yards that entire game, weren't helping him move the ball. So what does Haskins do? He puts the team on his back. Then after winning in Happy Valley, Ohio State goes on a three-game stretch against Indiana, Minnesota, and Purdue. Now, yes, the Buckeyes did lose to Purdue, and they, they lost pretty convincingly. But in those three games, the running game averaged just 107.3 yards per game, including back-to-back games under 100 yards in the final two games during that stretch. And that includes that Purdue game. That includes Purdue. So at the same time, Haskins goes 115 for 161, 161 passes in three games, 71.4%, throws uh, for 1,337 yards, 11 touchdowns, just three interceptions. During that time, we started seeing him airing out the ball, mainly because he had to in order to get the ball moving down the field. You know, he, he showed excellent deep ball accuracy, effortlessly dropping the ball in over the outside shoulder. And, you know, here, here's the thing with, with, with Haskins, and I've heard this when people talk about Daniel Jones, and it's driving me nuts. Daniel Jones, yes, he didn't have the talent around him that um, a guy like Dwayne Haskins had around him. Yes, I, I understand that. But let's not penalize Dwayne Haskins for having receivers that run 4-3 and 4-4 uh, 40s. At the end of the day, you still have to get them the ball. They're still going to get open. You still have to hit them on the money. Dwayne Haskins was able to do that. I'll never forget Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron Rodgers was at Cal, there was a stretch against USC where he went 25 for 25. And I mean, and it was just ridiculous. All the, the, the crossing routes, a lot of that, you know, balls thrown over the middle. Um, he just, you know, basically dinked and dunked his way. Um, you know, not all of them were dinked and dunks. I, I, I shouldn't say that. But essentially, Aaron Rodgers dominated USC. And, and, you know, when you're talking about 25 for 25, I mean, that's just unheard of. But the, the ability to sit there and hit a lot of those crossing routes, be as efficient as he was, um, you know, I said in 20, in 2005, that Aaron Rodgers should have been the first round pick. I went back and found my mock draft from 2005 and I had Aaron Rodgers going number one overall. I had Alex Smith going in the, in the top 10, but I had Aaron Rodgers going number one overall. And I'm looking at Dwayne Haskins and the way that he's able to run a lot of those crossing routes. I mean, those aren't easy throws to make, especially when the receiver's running away from you, putting the ball out in front of the receiver, allowing them to catch the ball uh, in stride and not have to reach back for the football. They're catching it in stride out in front of them where they can go make a play after the catch. He's putting the ball where only his receiver can make a play on it, away from the defender to where, again, he's making a play and is not taking a hit. That's what you want to see out of your quarterback. 
And yes, you could sit there and go back. You know, a lot of people are talking about, well, Dwayne Haskins, you know, the pocket presence, you know, he, he was opening, you know, you watch him with his, his footwork. He was opening up his, his stance and, you know, he wasn't always that accurate, you know, when, when he was under duress, what game were you watching? You know, I think that's, that's the, that's the question. Where, at what point in the season were you watching this? Because Dwayne Haskins, yes, the first half of the season, I will absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. But what did he do against the vaunted Michigan Wolverine defense, ranked number four in the country? All he did was throw for 396 yards on 20 of 31 passing, so 64.5%, six touchdowns without an interception, and led the Buckeyes to a convincing 62 to 39 victory. So again, if you tuned in to watch Haskins at the beginning of the season, you'd see a quarterback very much looking like a sophomore quarterback playing in his first season uh, as the team's full-time starter. Second half of the season told a very different story, and you saw Haskins deserving of all the accolades that he received. I think New York would be perfect for him. He can play under uh, you know, behind Eli Manning. Eli can play out his contract. And then Dwayne Haskins can be given the keys you know, to the, to the castle and, and let him take off. I still have him penciled in there as, as number six overall pick. I'm not buying that Dwayne Haskins is going to fall. If he does, I'm still anticipating Dwayne Haskins being a success at the next level and putting a chip on his shoulder much like Aaron Rodgers has. You know, Aaron Rodgers, if you'll remember, where did he fall? You know, I mean, that, that's what's staggering. He fell all the way to the number 24 you know, the 24th pick overall in that, in that 2005 draft, you know, and, and so I, it's one of those things to me that if Dwayne Haskins does fall, it could potentially be Cincinnati there at number 11. Again, Zach Taylor, you know, you've got Andy Dalton and Haskins can play behind Andy Dalton for a year before taking over the, the, the reins. Um, you know, then you've got Miami and you've got Washington. You have some of those other teams on the board. But Giants, man, Giants fans, this this makes so much sense. You you hit a home run with, with Saquon Barkley. Um, and this year you can have your franchise quarterback and still get a pass rusher at number 17. Yes, you could get the pass rusher at number 6 overall. You can get Montez Sweat. Um, potentially Ed Oliver could be sitting there if you want to go in, you know, with an inside rusher. I don't think Josh Allen is getting out of the top five, um, you know, with especially with Oakland and Tampa Bay sitting right there. Um, but, you know, you could get Brian Burns. You could get Rashawn Gary. And that's what I have penciled in right now at number 17 is Rashawn Gary to the Giants. Dwayne Haskins, to me, is the number one quarterback in this year's draft. Make no mistake. I, I think he's the number one quarterback because you know what I saw out of him was a guy who throughout the season was continuing to develop. And, and you saw, you know, I don't know if we've really seen the best out of Dwayne Haskins yet, which is scary. Um, but you know, Haskins, 6'3, 231 pounds, redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, I, I think he's ready. I think it's it's time for, for Dwayne Haskins to step out. And, uh, you know, Dave Gettleman, you know, he's talking about rebuilding at the same time, getting better. Address the pass rush, get your quarterback uh, in, in round one, and then go ahead and, and solidify that offensive line in round two. Find yourself a right tackle. 
you'll get yourself another another wide out to go with uh, um, you know Golden Tate and and Sterling Shepard. I saw Sterling Shepard just uh, got re-signed. Nice little deal there. I think it was a four-year deal. Um, solidify things there around around the offense. But look. You know, I, I know the, the pass rush needs to be addressed, but you know, to me, Dwayne Haskins makes the most sense. If Dwayne Haskins isn't the guy, maybe Dwayne Haskins is taken by the Raiders at number four overall. Maybe you know, Mike Mayock throws us a curveball um, because maybe he can package twenty-four and twenty-seven and trade up and get another pass rusher. Maybe Brian Burns. I hope he doesn't do that though, because again, there's so many needs there for the Raiders. Um, you know, Drew Locke. Could be an outside shot at, at the Giants, um, but you know I'll, I'll tell you why. I still think he's going to end up in Denver here in just a sec. So my number two quarterback, I'm jumping into my top ten. I know I you know I kind of got off my uh, on a soapbox there with Dwayne Haskins, but might as well go ahead and start going through the top ten. Uh, number two is Kyler Murray, and few quarterbacks have put together the type of season that Kyler has. Uh, you know, 69 percent passer. Uh, 260 at 377, um, you know, 4,361 yards, 42 touchdowns and seven interceptions in his, in his only year as a starter there for Oklahoma. Um, also, you know, 140 carries over a thousand yards, 12 touchdowns on the ground, a 7.2 average. And this was a guy, it just, when he got to the outside and, you know, was in the open field, the acceleration was, was staggering. You know, I, I wish he would have run the 40, would have been curious to see what he runs. Um, you know, he, you know, the, the acceleration is ridiculous, and, and that's really um, what kind of jumps off when you watch him watch him run. Um, now, I, I talked about um, you know, if Kyler does go number one overall, taking quarterbacks, you know, back to you know teams taking quarterback in the first round in back to back years. Um, it's only been ha- only happened three times, so it's not unprecedented, but it has only happened three times. In '83, uh, John Elway selected by the Colts one year after they selected Arch Lichter. Um, you know, we know um, what happened there with John Elway and the Colts. Um, you know, in 1955, the Colts actually drafted George Shaw just one year after drafting Cotton Davidson to play quarterback. And then there were the Rams. The Rams actually decided they'd take a quarterback in three consecutive drafts between 1962 and 1964. Roman Gabriel, Terry Baker, Bill Munson, all taking quarterbacks uh, there. So, you know, it hasn't happened since 83, only three times overall. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I still think it's going to be Kyler Murray that is going to be taking number one overall. Um, you know, if you'll recall, Kyler Murray, um, Kyler Cole Curry, uh, was the number nine overall pick of the Oakland Raiders, or I'm sorry, Oakland A's, not the Raiders. Um, you know, batted 296, 10 home runs, 47 RBIs, 10 stolen bases in 2018 for uh, the Sooner baseball team. You know, Murray did opt to, to play football uh, for the Sooners. And again, we, we talked about the numbers, that QBR, 96, the highest in the 16, 16 years that uh, the QBR uh, was being, you know, that, that stat was, uh, we were keeping track of that stat. Um, you know, a lot has been talking to, been talked about with, with Kyler Murray's height. He is 5'10", uh, weighed in at 207 pounds, probably a little bit heavier than he was, um, you know, during his playing time. Um, the height narrative, I think, is never going to go away, um, but I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily going to impact it. Now, look. 
you know, I know Baker Mayfield was is six feet tall, but he's only a couple of inches taller than, than Kyler Murray, and he's able to produce at the next level. You look at Russell Wilson, 5'10", 5'11", and what he's been able to do. Drew Brees, another guy who's a shorter quarterback. The game is changing. And look, you know, Kyler Murray played against a, a pretty big offensive line. There were times where he had to stand inside the pocket, and he was still able to survey and see the field. Um, you know, but what makes him special is his ability to you know break contain get outside the pocket um you know move the pocket manipulate things and uh keep his eyes down the field and still make plays down the football field i think that's one of the things that really makes him special that baseball um background you really see on display when he's moving to his left or right to throw throw the the ball from the outfield he was a center fielder there for the sooners you know and he's cutting loose with that foot or with the baseball you see that out on the football field, the way he's able to move. He doesn't always have to set his feet. He's changing his arm angles uh, to fit the ball into tight windows. And uh, the arm strength, man, when you watch him cut loose with a football, it's like he's he's trying to throw the ball to home plate from the warning track. Um, you know, because he just sits there and cuts loose with it. I mean, if you watch that game against Alabama this past year, uh, man, you know, he had Charleston Rambo streaking um, behind a couple of the, uh, a couple of DBs, and he's rolling out and doesn't even set his feet. You know, off of one foot, he chucks this ball 55 yards in the air, dime to to Rambo for the touchdown. You know, it's it's one of those things where just the freakish athleticism, um, the the talent. There, there's no question about that. And I think one one of the other things about him is the ice water in his veins. This guy is unflappable. You you want to talk about, you know, the type of performance. He was playing on a team. Yes, they had a high-powered offense, one of the most explosive that we've seen in quite some time, but the defense, you know, on the flip side was terrible. They're among the nation's worst. So really, if Kyler Murray wasn't on top of his game, if he wasn't playing at his best, OU was in trouble. They weren't going to win. It wasn't like Tua Tango-Vailoa over there at Alabama. Um, you know, Tua could have had a, you know, and he's had, you know, had a couple of games where he he didn't really show up. And there were other guys to to pick up the slack and, and carry things for him. He had a top, top-notch top defense. He had a top-notch running game. And, you know, yes, the Sooners were able to run the ball. But, you know, ever since they lost Rodney Anderson uh, to, to the knee injury, they were a different team running the football. So Kyler Murray had to be on his game. He had to uh, be at his best each and every game. And he was. Because the Sooners made it to the playoff. Largely because of the play of Kyler Murray. And that's why Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, you know, when you watch him compared to Baker Mayfield, he's not the most outgoing of quarterbacks. You know, he's not the guy who's going to be um, talking, you know, talking to his guys, talking them up left and right, but he's one of those guys, he's that steady influence in the huddle, you know, in the locker room, a guy who, you know, uh, again, regardless of what's going on, he's a guy who has that laser focus and all he's looking to do is, is win the game at, 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 at all costs. Um, you know, he, he's somebody for for me 
the the athleticism only takes you so far, you know, at the next level. I, I think all quarterbacks learn at some point that, you know, even you know the the, the great a, you know the great athlete that Michael Vick was, um, and and still is, you know, as, as great an athlete as as he's always been. I think he learned that you know you have to play within the confines of the offense, you know, and and really play uh, within the pocket to some degree. And you know, for Kyler, watching him when he runs, he still needs to learn how to how to get down. He, he's a baseball player; he knows how to. He should know how to slide, but uh, he doesn't really like contact, and that's something that has to be a little concerning. Um, you know, taking a big hit. You know, he has shown that he is able to bounce back. Um, you know, again, you know, in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, proved that he he could withstand a constant barrage of big hits. I mean, Quinton Williams was throwing him down left and right. Um, but he's he's somebody for me that um, I want to see him be able to play in, in the pocket. He's not always going to be able to get outside the pocket all the time. You know, Drew Brees isn't always. Uh, you know, moving outside the pocket or running around and things like that. He's able to stand with it, stand in the pocket, survey the field, and and cut loose. And that's something that Kyler Murray is going to have to be able to do. Now, you know, Kyler, you know, he, he did tend to stare down some receivers at times. Would sail the ball outside outside the numbers. Had issues with timing over the middle as well. Um, but again, he's he's the perfect fit in this offense. Um, for for Cliff Kingsbury and, and to me, I, I think he is right now the the number two quarterback. I have him just ahead of, of Drew Locke, who's sitting there at number three for me. Now Drew Locke, six four, two hundred twenty eight pounds out of Missouri, uh, four year starter for Mizzou, and uh, ma'am, I'll tell you what, what a difference four years makes at uh, at one school, um, especially for a guy like this. You know, throughout his first three years, um, under sixty percent completion percentage. You know, though he he improved each of those years, his junior year, everyone said that this was his best year. You know, he threw for over 3,900 yards, 44 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but he completed 57.8% of his passes. Now, in 2018, I would argue that this was probably a better season. He actually threw a, you know a few more passes, actually more passes than he has in in any season for the Tigers. 62.9% completion percentage, nearly 3,500 yards. 28 touchdowns, cut down on the interceptions, just eight. So what that tells me is, is in terms of his decision making and his, you know, just the overall accuracy, much improved. You know, I, I thought I saw a lot of fastballs. I, I didn't see him changing the velocity on his throws. You've got to be able to, to throw some touch passes, especially when you're getting it over the linebacker and in front of the safety. You got to drop that ball in. And I didn't see Drew Locke doing that on a consistent basis in 2017. Man, I saw that in 2018. I saw that quite a bit um, from Drew Locke. Now, look, you know, Drew Locke is a heck of an athlete. Ran a 4.6940 at the combine. Um, you know, was a, a basketball recruit. So he's somebody who is a, a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, he was a, a highly touted recruit. You know, went to the Elite 11 camp, and uh, you know, you, you always saw the arm strength. You know, and that's something you know made made plays outside the pocket um, and, and really trusted that arm strength trusted his arm a little bit too much and would try to fit his arm you know fit those throws into uh very very tight windows still did that at times especially when he's playing against the the elite uh defenses you know and, and really when you look at it there was a, a three-game stretch 
against Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama, where he completed just 48.2% of his passes for just 567 yards, five interceptions, and just one touchdown. So what, what, what's so impressive, you know, especially with that completion percentage at 62.9, is that he did that despite that three-game stretch against those elite, de- you know, the elite defenses. Um, you know, the Tigers, I think, were out- outmatched up front, you know, because seven of the 13 sacks came in those three games alone. So, you know, the pressure, I think, really caused uh, Drew Locke to do too much to try to keep his team in the game. Um, you know, I think he he needs to learn, you know, what throw the ball away, you know, live to face another down. It's much better than throwing an ill-advised pass and double or triple coverage late, especially over the middle. Um, so obviously, like I said, you see the the athleticism um, outside the pocket, his athleticism, um, his, his escapability, um, plus athleticism for sure. Um, you know, the, the delivery, you know, very effortless, you know, very quick release, ball jumps out of his hands. Um, could change those arm angles as well to, to fit the ball into a tight window. Um, what you also see is is some some sloppy footwork, and I think that's really what got him in, himself into trouble uh, in his first three years. I think he cleaned it up a little bit. Um, still has some work to go, um, but yeah, the footwork, especially you know when he's not setting his feet, um, not you know pointing at the target, the ball is going to sail on him, uh, make some some errant throws. Um, so I, I think that's something that he's. Um, Continuing to work on, um, does a good job getting the ball out early to the wide side, especially in front of soft coverage. Um, really gets a, throws a dart there and lets the wide receiver make a play after the catch. Um, so the arm strength not only apparent with the velocity, um, but he can unload it down the field. You know, against Wyoming, the Cowboys threw a pass 64 yards on a play action without setting his feet. Um, able to drop the ball in over the outside shoulder of the receiver on the vertical route, so the wide receiver didn't have to break stride. Now, I know you're not always going to be doing that at the next level, um, but but still, um, you know, it, it's something that still shows off that arm strength. Now, occasionally some of those throws up the sideline will creep too far inside, allowing the defender to make a play on the ball. But that arm strength paired with the excellent ball placement is always going to be a recipe for success down the football field. Um, you know, and, and I talked about the touch especially on back shoulder throws, putting the ball away from the defender where only the receiver can make a play on the ball. And, uh, you know, he, he does get himself into trouble staring down receivers. You know, that allows, you know, obviously defensive backs to undercut routes. Um, you know, he, he does a good job ultimately putting the ball away from the defender where only the receiver can, can actually make a play on the ball. Um, against Wyoming, again, um, able to look to the middle of the field, uh, before finding Nate Brown up the sideline for 27 yards, uh, before the safety could get there over the top against Georgia, hit the running back on a wheel route up the sideline, freezing the safety by keeping his eyes locked up the middle um, middle of the field, and then hitting the running back who beat the linebacker to the outside. And then against Purdue, looked off safety, uh, Jacob Thieneman, uh held him over the middle, came back to his left to hit Jalen Knox on a skinny post, with 59 yards for a touchdown, all because the safety couldn't couldn't get out to Knox in time. So what does that tell you? All three of those those games, the eye discipline, his ability to keep those manipulate the safeties, put them exactly where he needs them, so that he can have his receivers make a big play. Now, again, you know the the apologists for for Daniel Jones 
that'll that'll sit there and talk about the lack of talent that that was around him which led to a lot of the incompletions and and you know the numbers don't match up with some guys now here's the deal Drew Locke when he had to deal with this year his number one receiver was Emmanuel Hall Emmanuel Hall ran a you know a, a sub 4440 at the combine so you know that he's blazing fast a guy who can take the top off of a defense you know a vertical route you know for days his tight end Albert O um, you know Albert uh, Owe Boonham very well could have been a tight end in this draft and probably could have been one of the top three or four tight ends taken but he was battling injuries so what was left he had a bunch of guys that he was really having to build rapport with um, because honestly when Hall went down it was Albert O and then when Albert O was down and and, and Hall at the same time, Locke was trying to really figure out who I'm who am I going to get this football to. So, you know that that's one of the things I will say about Drew Locke that's so impressive is he did a lot of this despite the fact that you know his receiving core he was still trying to build rapport with with some of these younger receivers. So hats off to him, and, and I think Drew Locke to me where's he going to go? Well, you know I, obviously a first round pick. Um, could he go to the Giants? Could he go to the Raiders? You know, some of those teams potentially. Yeah, I mean, he could. Um, you know, I, I think Cincinnati, if he if he falls past Denver, Cincinnati's got to jump on him. But I, I, I think Denver, you look at Joe Flacco, you know, you have him for a couple of years. Um, I, I think John Elway wants to get the quarterback situation right. And... He's got Flacco in there. You know, he's not in any hurry. Um, but Drew Locke, you know, with that athleticism, with the arm strength, with the improved accuracy, I, I, I think this is it, this is a guy where I don't think you're reaching if you take him at number ten overall. And uh, you know, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, and. I look back at my mock draft and, you know, what the fact that Elway doesn't have to make a move right now because he does have uh, Joe Flacco also lends you to believe that maybe Denver, especially with Devin White's potentially sitting out there at number 10, would Vic Fangio go with an inside linebacker, you know, like like he had with, with Roquan Smith with the Bears. You know, if that happens, then Cincinnati would have to take a long, hard look at Drew Locke at number 11. Um, you know, I, I just think that for me, Drew Locke is, you know, if you're looking at some of the top 10 picks, I think Drew Locke is going to end up being a top 10 pick as well. So number four on my list, number four is, is Will Greer out of West Virginia. Now Will Greer, you know, interesting story, obviously went to Florida for one year, um, really playing well. And ultimately had to sit out because he was suspended for an entire year for his use of PEDs. Um, you know, he took responsibility for that, really grew up. Now he's he's married, has a child. Um, you know, and, and in his two years there at West Virginia, really, really excelled um there for, for the Mountaineers. Um, you know, over completed just under six uh, 66% of his passes, over 7,300 yards, 71 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. 
Now, 12 of those were thrown in, in 2017. He cut down on the inter, uh, the, uh, the the interceptions a bit there in, in 2018. Now, what I what I really like about about Greer is, you know, obviously, you know, the the, the gunslinger mentality. You know, he he's just a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy watching a lot of those guys play. Um, but I, I think what really what what really stands out, you look at Pro Football Focus, they they noted that Will Greer was best against the Blitz. 22 touchdowns, zero interceptions, finished with the fifth fifth best deep passing grade. So, you know, I, I look at Will Greer, yes, I mean he struggled, you know, and looked bad at times at the senior bowl. Um couldn't get on the same page with a lot of his receivers at the combine, but at his pro day where he was very familiar with the, his receivers looked awesome. I saw a lot of the game film or the, 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 the tape there showed really good arm strength, excellent ball placement, also showing his, his smooth feet to, to manipulate the pocket. Um, and, and I think that's really what helped him kind of set that tone, uh, move him back into the conversation as one of the better quarterbacks in the draft. Um, you know, that gunslinger mentality, um, you know, the story I, I've told it before on here, but man, if you haven't seen that Texas comeback, you got to tune in for that. They're down 41, 34, just over uh, two minutes and 30 seconds to play. Greer leads Mount, the Mountaineers on a seven play 75 yard drive culminated in a 33 yard touchdown pass to Gary, uh, Gary Jennings with just 16 seconds to play. Greer takes that snap, rolls to his right, sees Jennings over the top of two longhorn defensive backs up the seam cuts loose, Without setting his feet, you know, off of one foot, um, drops a dime in over Jennings' shoulder just before he runs out of room in the back of the end zone, and then Greer, doing Greer things, you know, he he has that athletic enough athleticism, able to get to the edge, and they ultimately score, you know, forty-two to forty-one, and uh, gives the horns down. So you know, a little bit of that moxie. Um, you know, what's interesting is, is he did the horns down. Nobody really gave him any flack for that. Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, you know, the, the high-profile guy. Baker Mayfield took a lot of flack for a lot of the things that he did. Um, Will Greer really didn't get anything for that, that horns down. But uh, I like that. You know I, I, you know, I like a little bit of that fire out of, out of your quarterback, as long as it doesn't detract from things. And, and look, you know, I, I think the, the team really fed off of that. And, you know, I, that, that's the thing. If, if the guys are going to feed off of their quarterback, if they would do anything for their quarterback, that's really what you're looking for. And I think that moxie that the Will Greer brings to the table, you, know, you want to have that. Now, with that 42-41, you know, Dana Holgerson – you know, ask Will Greer. You can see it on the sideline. You're watching the game, and you can see Dana Holgerson asking him, you know, if he wants the ball, what does he want to do? Will Greer wanted the ball, and he wanted to win the game. That's what you want to see. That's the type of mentality you want to see out of your quarterback. Now, look, you know, Will Greer isn't going to be the most fundamentally sound, may not be the best athlete, but again, you know, he's a competitor who finished with 17 games with over 300 yards passing, just five games with under 60% completion percentage, through 19 interceptions in his first 17 games at West Virginia, finished strong throwing 15 touchdowns and just one interception in his final five games of the season. And what's also interesting, NFL released ball speed numbers from the combine. Found this um, you know, on, on NFL.com and a couple of other outlets that were reporting this. I think Pro Football Focus released it as well. Will Greer threw, had a score of, of 59. Not really sure how they calculate this, but he had a strong you know score of 59 
Um, it was the strongest along with, with Brett Rippon. Um, you know, Ryan Finley had a 57, Daniel Jones with the 54, Drew Locke with the 57 as well. Um, I, I th- really think Greer is a sleeper that nobody's really talking about. Um, that gunslinger mentality reminds you a little bit of Brett Favre. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that to me is, is someone that, you know, look in 2017, he broke his thumb in, in November against Texas. West Virginia lost their final three games of the season without him in, uh, at the helm. So to me, Will Greer is a guy that you're going to have to keep an eye on. I'm looking at the Raiders. If the Raiders are going to take a quarterback, you can pick up Will Greer at the top of round two and be just fine. You know, you'll get that guy, you know, that, that swagger, the moxie, a guy that, you know, could potentially be a John Gruden guy. Um, how about, you know, the, the Chargers? If you're looking for a guy who's ultimately going to step in and replace Phillip Rivers, Philip Rivers is a guy who likes to talk, a guy who has that moxie, that swagger. Will Greer, not too far off from that. So number five, you know, it's not Daniel Jones. I'm actually going Ryan Finley here. 6'4", 213 pounds out of NC State. Started his first two years at Boise State. Ultimately had to leave Boise State and transfer to NC State because of Brett Rippon. Remember that name. We'll be talking about him here shortly. But all he did at NC State, um, you know, was he was a 64.5% completion percentage, threw over 10,000 yards, 60 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. Now, look, you know, this this last year, um, while he did complete over 67% of his passes, over 3,900 yards, did have 25 touchdowns and 11 interceptions, needs to cut down on some of the, the poor decision-making uh, better athlete than I think anyone was expecting. Ran a 4.7340 at the combine. Kind of surprised about that. I think what really um, jumps off the tape for me with with Ryan Finley is he's a he's a, he you know he doesn't have the arm strength. Yes, you know he, he doesn't have he can't push the ball to the outside like a lot of these other guys are. But I think the arm strength is adequate. I think what he what he does have is ball placement and anticipation. Um, so the anticipation, you know, the receivers getting in and out of their breaks, that ball is on them um, when they're when they're turning for that football. You know, that ball is right there on them, and uh, the, the ball placement, getting the ball away from the defender where only those guys can make a play. You know, I, I think that's something that really says you know speaks to what Ryan Finley can do. Um, you know, in in a clean pocket, this is a guy who can who can take you apart. He's not a statue. Um, you know, I think that was one of the things that Sean Mannion had against him when he was coming out of Oregon State. Very good when the pocket was clean, but man, when he stood back there, he was a statue. And if the pass rush got to him, he really struggled. Now, I look at Ryan Finley, and he's, you know, I think the thing that people give him a hard time about is that arm strength. And I, I think I kind of bought into that a little bit with, with hey, the arm strength. It, it, he's not going to be much more than, than a backup quarterback. But I, I think the intelligence that, that Ryan Finley plays with, um, his, his football IQ is, is definitely there. Um, you know, and he, he reads the defenses so well. You know, I think that's one of the things that you can definitely say about him. He will stare down his receivers at times, but 
I think he does a great job reading the defenses, understanding where he needs to go with the football. Um, you know, the question then just becomes whether or not he has the arm strength to get it there. But he knows exactly where he's going to go with the football and the decisions that he needs to make. Um, I, I think Ryan Finley right now, probably a, a third round pick. You know, some of those teams that are looking for a, a backup, you know, possibly the Patriots. Um, you know, it, it could be the, you know, the Saints maybe. Um, but I think, you know, the, the Dolphins, the Redskins, those would be teams that, that could potentially look at, at Ryan Finley. If Denver doesn't go uh, with Drew Locke at number 10, I think Finley could potentially be a guy there as well. Then I have Daniel Jones, number six on, on the list. 6'5", 221 pounds, the junior. Um, now, I, I've been kind of, you know, giving Daniel Jones a little bit of a hard time here in the podcast and, you know, it's not that I don't think he's a he's a good quarterback. I think it's one of those things where I, I think Daniel Jones is a little little overrated. I've been hearing people talking about him possibly going in round number one. Now, you see some of the struggles with uh, with ball placement and, and he lacks ideal arm strength, but he has such a high football IQ. He's a David Cutcliffe disciple. He reads the field at an elite level. You know, can make all the throws. Um, you know, the the exceptional pocket presence to avoid the rush and extend plays. Um, but you know, what scares me is the fifty nine point nine. Yes, it was fifty nine point nine. I know, but but still, you know, he was right around sixty percent passing in in twenty eighteen. Um, you know, he he's thrown for fifty two touchdowns, twenty nine interceptions in his three seasons. Um, you know, when you talk about a guy like. Uh, you know, like like Ryan Finley, um, you know, in five years as a quarterback, uh, you know, thirty interceptions, and you're looking at Daniel Jones with twenty nine, just the three seasons, you know, just for a little bit of a comparison, um, but Daniel Jones, you know, ran a four eight one forty, you know, he's a decent, a decent athlete. Um, you know, I, I think he does a great job going through his progressions. Um, sees the feed, sees the field very well. Understands exactly where he where he's going to go with the football. Um, you know, he he does a good job. You know, especially throwing the deep ball. Puts the air in, uh, under the ball, allowing the receiver to run under the ball without breaking you know breaking stride. Um, extends his plays with his legs, keeping his eyes down the field. Finds the open man well. Squares his target, delivering a strike. Good uh, mechanics there with with throwing the football. Um, you know, against Virginia and Miami, he completed just 52% of his passes for just 370 yards, one touchdown to three interceptions. But then he turns it on his head, you know, turns the stats on its head and and against UNC finished with 547 total yards, uh, which included 186 on the ground, uh, four total touchdowns. Then he dominates Temple in the Independence Bowl, completed over 73% of his passes, 423 yards passing, five touchdowns, just, you know, and then the two interceptions. Um, you know, I, I think that was one of the things. Yes, you saw some big stats. The two interceptions made some poor decisions, um, you know, really forcing the football, um, getting rid of the ball late. And, and that's one of the things that you look at when you watch him play. Um, you know, the lack of arm strength, definitely apparent at the combine, really had to put effort into pushing the ball down the field. Um, you know, you also saw him hold the ball onto the ball too long. A lot of times patting the ball, that's what you saw. Just patting, patting, patting the ball, uh, multiple times as he's going through his progressions. Um, you know, makes those late throws, uh, missing the open man, 
trying to fit the ball into too tight of a window. Um, that's really what is going to get him into trouble. And that's why you see from a completion percentage standpoint, you know, he was just a, at a 60.5. Really, the best completion percentage that he's had in his career at Duke was his freshman season when he was at 62.8. But again, high football IQ, very intelligent guy, David Cutcliffe, disciple, I just think I really wanted to see Daniel Jones come back for one more year. I don't get the first-round hype. Um, if I'm the Giants, if I don't go quarterback in round one for for whatever reason, and you know Daniel Jones will be a nice quarterback in round two. Miami, if you don't go quarterback in round one, you still want to get a quarterback in the draft. He'd be a nice guy in round two, and I think that's where I actually have him. You know, have him going ultimately. Um, Actually, right now, if if uh, you know with Denver, um, if they don't I, right now, if you go to the website, I, I don't have uh, Drew Lock going number ten overall. I actually have uh, them taking uh, Devin White. So then, in round two, Daniel Jones there to Denver. That could absolutely happen as well. It'll be interesting to see exactly where it is that he goes. I I, I think ultimately Daniel Jones, the right value for him is going to be day two. Second, third round range. I think he'll probably be a, a second round guy. Um, but if he goes in round number one, I think that's a huge reach. Now, those are the six top quarterbacks. You know, what what order it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens. I'll give you the most underrated quarterback in this draft. How about Brett Rippon out of Boise State? Now, this, this was the guy who was so good at Boise State that Ryan Finley had to transfer to NC State. Take a look at these stats. 64% passer in his four years. Um, you know, his, his lowest uh, completion percentage was as a, a sophomore at a 61.9. Um, over 13,000 yards passing, 90 touchdowns to just 29 interceptions, uh, and in the last two seasons combined through 13, six as a junior, seven as a senior. Insane, insane numbers. Now, he's not the most mobile guy. Um, you know, he ran a 4.9140 at the combine uh, in his in his career, um, you know, averaged, you know, less than a yard per carry, um, actually minus 0.5 yards to be exact. Um, in all minus 102 yards uh, on the ground, you know, and he doesn't have ideal height. He's 6'2", 210 pounds. What's interesting is, is when you watch him play, you don't really think about his arm strength. But if you remember, I talked about the ball, uh, ball strength numbers um, that they re- registered there at the combine, and he was actually right there in terms of that arm strength with uh, with Will Greer. Now Brett Rippin. Another guy who just makes makes all the right throws. You know, this is a guy who does a great job reading the field. Um, you know, he he's someone who doesn't make a lot of a lot of mistakes. Very very heady quarterback. A guy who reads the defense, goes through his progressions very well. Just knows where he's going to go with the football. I don't think you know defense is not, you know really at the collegiate level. We're outsmarting uh, Brett Rippon. I look at Brett Rippon as a guy who I think can find his way into round number three. And we talk about who's going to replace Tom Brady. 
when Tom Brady finally hangs it up. A lot of people thinking Daniel Jones may sneak into round one, number 32 overall. I'm looking at the Patriots. They need to address their pass rush, first and foremost. Come on. They got 30 sacks on the year. Only the Raiders finished with less sacks than the Patriots. They also need to replace their two defensive tackles who are free agents, Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton. They need they need to address that. They also need to replace Gronk. Gronk's retired. They need a tight end. How about the receiving core? Chris Hogan's gone a year after Danny Amendola left. You need to find a running mate for, for Julian Edelman. So there are plenty of holes here before you go quarterback. Do you, you know, do you really think that Bill Belichick is going to go quarterback in round one? Probably not. But he's got a lot of picks on day two and three. And I'm looking at Brett Rippon. I think that'd be a nice value there towards the end of, of round number three. You get a guy who can come in and, and learn for a couple of years from, from Tom Brady. And look, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. Nobody was picking him to be much. You know, was obviously severely underrated. And uh, I think Brett Rippon, you know, yeah, he ran a 4-9-140. Wasn't the most athletic guy there. And uh, seems like a perfect fit, right? <laughs> so, you know, number eight on my list, another guy that really hasn't been talked about a whole lot. Um, and a guy, you know, if you're going to use the the fact that, well, the, the talent around him, you know, not to pick on Daniel Jones again and, and the, the people that have been supporting him so much, um, you know, they talked about how he didn't have the talent around him that some of the other quarterbacks did playing for Duke. Well, the same could be said for Clayton Thorson. Clayton Thorson, you know, at Northwestern, he didn't have, um, you know, a lot of the receivers that some of these other guys had. Um and, and he still put together some pretty darn good numbers. You know, he, he is somebody, uh, again, career completion percentage at just 58.4. That's definitely troublesome. Um, you look at, um, you know, he did complete over 60% of his passes in each of the last two seasons there at Northwestern. Um, over 10,000 yards passing, 61 touchdowns. The big issue is, is 45 interceptions in his career, including... 27 in the last two seasons, you know, and, and I think that's one of the biggest concerns. You really saw him, you know, he blossomed as a, as a sophomore, you know, and, you know, with 22 touchdowns, just nine interceptions, and then kind of took a step back as a junior. Um, And then as a senior, you really wanted to see him kind of take a step forward. But the problem with it was, was he was recovering from the, the ACL tear um, in the music city bowl against Kentucky. And uh, he really didn't look the same, you know, that said, this guy is tough, tough as nails. I mean, you you tear your knee on twelve twenty nine, and you're back for the start of, of the season. You know, as a senior, the guy still started. Um, you know, fifty three games, all fifty three. I mean, that's in, insane. And what what was at issue was Northwestern was trying to figure out what they were going to do with Clayton Thorson. You know, because of the the knee injury, and when he got the momentum. Going and he was really throwing the ball well at the beginning of the year. He was sharing time with TJ Green and never, you know, every time that he would come back out onto the field after TJ Green got some playing time, he 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 struggled. He struggled to really find that that mojo and really struggled to find find uh, find himself after that. You know, Clayton Thorson too. You know, as a freshman, he really took you know jumped out. You know, yeah, he only completed fifty percent of his passes, but he also rushed for for nearly four hundred yards. Uh, on the ground, uh, 27 total touchdowns in his career. Um, you know, th- this last season really struggled on the ground, but again, I think that's an ACL 
you know, he was struggling with that. Um, you know, returning from injury without his his top running back Justin Jackson, um, and then you know with uh, Shane Larkin ultimately having to retire. You know, they 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 battled through things there with with the running game. Um, you know, he lost Austin Carr in in twenty seventeen. Um, so having to develop some rapport with the receivers as well. Um, but you know, to me, Clayton Thorson, he's got a, he's got tremendous arm strength. He is a good, pretty good athlete, very, you know, good on the run. Um, you know, I, I think for me watching him, you know, I really want to see what he's going to do, uh, getting into an NFL camp now that he's had a full year, uh, allowing that knee to, to heal, I really want to see what he can do. I think he'll probably be he'll he'll definitely be a day day three guy because of the knee. You know, he may not be drafted until the fifth round. 6'4, 222 pounds, but he's a guy who I think could uh could surprise some people a little bit. Um, let's see. Jared Stidham is my number nine quarterback, 6'2, 218 pounds, a junior out of Auburn. Um, I think his story is well documented as well. Started his career at Baylor as a freshman. Um, over 68% of his passes completed there, played in 10 games, you know, 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions, and, uh, then decided he was going to transfer, ended up going over to Auburn, um, you know, really looked exceptional, uh, as a sophomore for Auburn, um, you know, 66 and a half complete percent completion percentage over 3,100 yards, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions, but (coughs) excuse me. As a as a junior, I think he took a little bit of a step back. You're just completing just uh, just under sixty one percent of his passes. Look somewhat robotic at times. Um, you know, it was one of those things to me. Um, you know, I, I thought that the decision making wasn't always there. I think he was trying to do too much, forcing passes down the field. Um, you know, in terms of you know, he would stare down receivers at times. Um, you know, and and would stand in the pocket. And yes, he would take some take some abuse in the pocket and still cut loose with the football. Um, but I thought the ball placement, you know, especially you know up the sideline, would would get too far inside. He'd hold on to the ball way too long in the pocket and uh, and take ill advised sacks. Um, but that said, I think he does you know have good command of the offense. Um, ball placement down the field. You know, I think he has a touch to throw it, drop it over the linebacker and in front of the safety. Uh, pretty good timing. As as well, uh, pretty elusive in the pocket, um, but I think he's he's far from a finished product. I think he's someone who's definitely going to uh, have his work cut out for him at the at the next level. Um, you know, and when you look at at uh, twenty seventeen, nine fumbles, including three in the red zone at the close of the season. You know, lost uh, a total of six. Um, and then you know took way too many sacks in 2017. Took uh, 35 sacks. Um, so he he's somebody to me that I think needs to continue to to work and develop. Six two, 218 pounds, um, decent athlete. Ran a four eight one forty at the combine. Um, but yeah, you know he's someone that um, needs needs to work on some polish. Needs to work on getting rid of the football uh, as well. Um, now looking at, at number 10 on my list, um, you know, I've got two guys kind of penciled in here. One is Tyree Jackson of Buffalo. You know, I know six, seven, 249 pounds, a junior, 
um, decided to come out really kind of questionable, um, you know, with him coming out, um, a year removed from, from tearing his, his ACL, um, you know, last year he, he threw, you know, completed just 50, 55% of his passes, um, threw 28 touchdowns, but also 12 interceptions and, uh, you know, just never really looked to be the same guy in terms of moving around, um, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the athleticism and, uh, you know, what I really saw out of Tyree Jackson, though, was just the effortlessness with the way this guy throws the football. You want to talk about a cannon, a guy who can throw the ball a mile down the field and with velocity. Um, you know, that's what Ty, uh, Tyree Jackson's game is, 4 5 nine, 40. Um, You know, so he's a, he has shown that some of the athleticism is back. Um, but how many 6-7 quarterbacks have really succeeded? The last two... Brock Osweiler, Paxson Lynch, haven't really panned out. So that's what Tyree Jackson has working against him. Now, neither of those guys are the athlete that Tyree Jackson is, but Tyree Jackson is a developmental guy. That's why he's probably going to be a sixth-round pick. But you know, the, the athleticism and the arm strength, his ability to, to just cut loose with it when he's on the move, reminds you a lot of Josh Allen. And I, I think if he if he works on the mechanics, if he works on some of the decision making, um, you know, he he has a chance to stick at the next level. Speaking of sticking at the next level, Easton Stick. See what I did there? Um, the six one, two hundred twenty four pound senior out of out of North Dakota State. This is a guy, um, you know, sixty one percent career uh, completion percentage. Uh, over 87 or 8,600 yards passing, um, 88 touchdowns, just 28 interceptions, um, never threw more than nine interceptions in a season. Um, and, and when you look at the sack total, you know, it was sacked just 11 times last year um, for 65 yards. You know, this is a guy who is very athletic, ran a 4.6240 at the combine, uh, rushed for over 2,500 yards in his career. Um, a 5.9 yard um, per carry average with 41 touchdowns in his career, including 29 in the last two seasons. You know, when you think about North Dakota State, you think about them dominating at the FCS level, and Easton Stick really picked up where um, Carson Wentz left off. He's not not the not the same in terms of arm strength, um, but I think the athleticism, his ability to escape the pocket. Um, the grittiness with which he plays. I think he'll be a day three quarterback, a developmental guy, and someone who I think could stick on a roster, um, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew out of Washington State, 6'1", 225 pounds. These last few guys are, are guys just names to keep an eye on. Now, Gardner Minshew, he was playing at Eastern uh, East Carolina, and uh, you know, when you look at his stats, not all that impressive. You know, uh, 20... Four touchdowns to 11 interceptions um, was a below um, below 60% passer and uh, threw for just 34, you know, under 3,500 yards and was actually going to be like the second or third string quarterback at Alabama and ultimately was probably going to end up moving into their, their coaching staff there and then ultimately ends up becoming the starting quarterback at Washington State. An unfortunate um, you know, situation there for, for Wazoo. 
Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, Gardner Minshew was able to come in there and, uh, you know, the, the mustache and the swagger. Um, I think that swagger is something that the NFL, um, franchises are going to fall in love with Six one, two hundred twenty-five 225 pounds, um, you know, 70, just under 71% completion percentage, um, over 4,700 yards passing 38 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Luke Falk went, went uh, in the fifth round and I don't think that Gardner Minshew is necessarily the, the the better you know a better athlete or better has better arm strength than Luke Falk. I think he'll probably be a sixth or seventh round pick. Um, you know, might struggle to 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 make an NFL roster, but at at the same time, I don't necessarily want to rule him out because you know he does have that that moxie, that swagger, and and really what he was able to do. You know, moving from East Carolina to Washington State. Um, you know, that's one of the things that, that progression that was made, you really want to see what he can do when he gets into an NFL camp. Uh, same goes for Jake Browning out of Washington, you know, he's 6'2", 211 pounds, four year starter at Washington. All he did was, was take Washington to a couple of PAC 12, uh, titles, uh, under Chris Peterson, uh, career completion percentage, 64.6 over 12,000 yards, passing 94 touchdowns, including 43 in 2016 as a sophomore, um, and, and 34 interceptions. You know, he twice threw uh, through 10 interceptions on the year. Um, you know, one of the things with, with Brown, uh, with with Jake Browning, he, he leaves you scratching your head. You'll watch him; he'll make some absolutely you know brilliant throws. Um, you know, great timing, and then he'll leave you with some head scratchers. You know, he'll sit there and cut loose. You know, that first game against Auburn, he threw a ball and severely underthrew the receiver. I mean the the, the defensive back was trailing the receiver and had to dive to make an interception. Um, you know, and that was deep in, in Washington territory and, and Auburn wound up scoring on that, on that drive. And, and there are just, you know, some of the decisions, you know, he, he leaves you scratching your head. And, and that's, I think the frustrating thing about Jake Browning, um, you know, a decent athlete ran a four, seven at the combine. Um, you know, the arm strength, you know, I, I thought of Washington was just average. You know, it wasn't impressive, but uh, they, they've shown some, you know, it, there's some footage out there on social media showing that he has improved arm strength, that he's able to make some of those throws, especially on corner routes, being able to drop the ball in over the uh, the, the receiver's outside shoulder, um, putting the ball out there on a, uh, where the receiver can make a play and only the receiver It'll be interesting to see, you know, he'll probably be a late round pick. You know, he's a smart guy. You know, he may stick with, uh, with an NFL franchise just because he's, he's a heady quarterback, a a smart guy, um, high football IQ. Um, but he's going to have to fix all those, the the decision-making, you know, just those head scratchers, if you will. Um, Kyle Shermer out of Vanderbilt name sounds familiar. His dad, Pat, uh, coaches the giants. Um, and this is a kid, you know, started three years there at Vanderbilt, um, including, you know, really you look at his numbers and this year he really put everything together. Um, you know, prior to his senior season, you know, his best numbers were actually as a junior where he completed under 58% of his passes, um, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions as a senior, completed 62.6% of his passes, over 3,100 yards, 24 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, it was 6'4", 230 pounds, not the best athlete, ran a 4'9", 140 at the combine, 
but he's a big kid, a decent arm. You know, he's a son of a coach, obviously. I think he's going to get a chance at the next level. Could be a guy that could be be drafted uh, late and, you know, a team taking a flyer on him. Now, the last couple guys, you know, that I'm going to throw out there, you know, um, you know, there's, there's Jordan Ta'amu, you know, 6'2", um, 200, I'm sorry, 6'3", 221 pounds. And when I look at Ta'amu, you know, two years there at Ole Miss, really the one year as a, uh, as a full-time starter, over 3,900 yards passing, 19 touchdowns, eight interceptions, um, could throw the heck out of a deep ball, but I really don't know if he can make all the throws in a route tree. Um, he's a guy who I think because of his arm strength and, and athleticism, he, he might be able to to get drafted, but he, he's going to be a work in progress and a developmental guy. And then there's Nick Fitzgerald, 6'5", 226 pounds, ran a 4'6", 440 at the combine. Uh, you know, why is that, you know, a, a big deal? Well, when you talk about quarterbacks, um, you know, rushing yards in the SEC. You know, there's Nick Fitzgerald and then Cam Newton and Johnny Manziel. You know, he's he's nobody has, has rushed for more yards. And Nick Fitzgerald is is just a beast. You know, running the football. Um, you know, he dislocated his ankle um, with with nine nine oh eight to go um, against um, in the first quarter against Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Gave everyone a thumbs up as he was carted off the field, and then came back, um, you know, for his his senior season. And you know, w- with with Fitzgerald, he, he's a tremendous runner, um, and I think that's the thing where you can really that jumps out um, when you watch him watch him play. Um, over thirty six hundred yards on the ground, six hundred one carries. I mean, that's really what a running back is going to average there. But uh, six six point uh, uh, yards per carry. And uh, 46 total touchdowns. I mean, double-digit touchdowns in each of his last three seasons. It's unreal. The flip side is the quarterback play. Only completed 54% of his passes, 6,200 yards, 55 touchdowns, and 30 interceptions. So when you're talking about from a stat standpoint, um, not all that impressive, you know, as, as a thrower, as a, as a quarterback. Why am I mentioning all of this? Well, there's a guy by the name of, of Taysom Hill, BYU quarterback, 6'2", 221 pounds, um, you know, was a senior there in 2016. You look at him, 5,800 or 58% completion percentage, 6,900 yards passing, 43 touchdowns, and 31 interceptions. Also ran for over 2,800 yard, 2,800 yards uh, for the Cougars and 32 touchdowns. Why am I mentioning this? Well, Taysom Hill has kind of carved out a you know a, a career in the NFL with um, with with the Saints. You know, in, in his last two uh, last two seasons, um, you know, he's played in a total of 21 games, including you know all all 16. There in 2018, you know, was a tight end and receiver. Um, started four games for him, actually. Um, rushed for uh, nearly 200 yards. Co- scored a couple of touchdowns. Um, targeted seven times in the passing game. Three receptions, just four yards. But, you know, a guy who has found his way onto the field. And, and the reason why I mention him, you know, he's he, he wasn't a guy who, you know, was getting drafted uh, or anything like that. But... 
he is finding his way onto the field. He is a guy who um, is is in their plans, at least in terms of uh, of trying to get him out there on the football field. He, he threw the football, uh, actually completed uh, three of seven passes while he was out there, did throw an interception. Um, but uh, again, when you're trying to look for guys who may get drafted, you know, draftability, um, Nick Fitzgerald, the way that he's able to run the football um, makes you wonder if maybe he's going to be a, a guy like Taysom, you know, a guy who could potentially fit in and transition to that tight end. You always see quarterbacks. You see Antoine Randall who, who converted to a receiver, Julian Edelman converted to receiver. I'm looking at Nick Fitzgerald as a guy. He may not get drafted. He may end up being a priority free agent, but keep an eye out for him. He may be a guy who converts to tight end. We may be seeing him playing tight end at the next level. Um, and a guy who I think, I think that's really where his, his future is going to be is, uh, you know, at, at a different skill position. So, you know, we, we've talked about quite a few quarterbacks. Um, you know, we've actually talked about, uh, if you've been scoring at home, 16 total quarterbacks here, um, you know, will all of them get drafted? You know, if, if 16, all 16 of the guys that we talked about did get drafted, then um, you know that'd be the the most in terms of the, the quarterbacks, um, you know, in the last five years or the last six years now, and uh, you know so that's something that you know it, it'll be interesting to see you know exactly how many quarterbacks are taken. The last time that we actually had sixteen quarterbacks taken was two thousand four was the last time we actually had 16 quarterbacks taken. It also happened in 20, uh, 2002. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we're necessarily in store for, for 16 quarterbacks, but there are quite a few teams that are looking for quarterbacks. And, you know, I, I think off the top of my head, I can name, you know, Arizona, potentially the Raiders, the Giants, the Bengals, the Dolphins, the, uh, the Washington Redskins, potentially the Chargers for someone behind Rivers and and uh, Tyrod Taylor. You got the Patriots. You got the Saints. Um, that's nine teams right there. Potentially Tampa Bay. You know, with with Ryan uh, Fitzmagic gone. You know, someone to back up uh, Jameis Winston. I got to ten, and that's just right off the top of my head without even looking at depth charts. And trying to figure out what teams might need backup quarterbacks or a guy that they might bring in as a third stringer, um, you know, and take a flyer on late. So could we see history back-to-back years? Um, you know, obviously last year the first time that we've ever seen uh, four quarterbacks taken in, round, in in the top ten, five in the first round. We won't see that this year, um, but you know, could we potentially see sixteen quarterbacks drafted for the first time since uh, two thousand four? I think it might be possible. You know, there are enough quarterbacks out here. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, if I had to to pick a number, I would say we're looking at probably 13 or 14 of these quarterbacks will end up getting drafted when it's all said and done. So that is the first of the Rapid Fire podcasts. In a couple of days, we'll be talking about running backs. Only one running back I think we'll end up in the first round, and that's Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. You've got uh, David Montgomery as the second round back, but there are a lot of guys that you could end up taking there in, in round number three. Um, you know, Travion Williams, 
uh, and Daryl Henderson, the smaller guys um, who are very explosive. You've got uh, Devin Singletary, the guy who just, you know, the, the lateral quickness is, is insane. Miles Sanders, if it's not for the fumbles, the fumbleitis that he has, he might be one of the best backs in this entire draft. Then there's Damian Harris, the other Alabama running back. You know, where, where do we have him? Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. Uh, you know what 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 happens there? He was the guy that ran the four four forty at the combine, the fastest running back there. So you know we're going to take a look at all of these guys. Um, you know where did some of the senior running backs fall? A guy like Ryquell Armstead, uh, Karan Higdon, um, you know Elijah Holyfield. What does he do now that he, you know? How can he rebound from um, you know a, a combine that saw him ran a four seven eight forty? Um, you know so there there's going to be. A lot of conversation there. The the guys with the injuries, Bryce Love, Rodney Anderson, Jalen Moore. What happens to those guys? Where do they end up falling in in the draft? You know, because of the because of the injuries. Are any of them going to get drafted? You know, that could also be a, a potential question. You know, so we're going to take a look at all of that. In the next podcast, here I'm going to make sure that I get that released in the next couple of days, and then we'll go. Rapid fire after that. Make sure that we're bringing all of these positional breakdowns to you in advance of the NFL draft. Less than two weeks away. I hope you enjoyed the first installment of our rapid fire podcast. Uh, I know I did. Uh, So until next time, everyone, this is Greg Schutz for readyforthedraft.com and the Ready for the Draft podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend and we will talk soon. Until then, I am out of here. Take care, everyone.